ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and with me today is Dr. Barry Marin. Dr. Marin is the director of the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Center at the Minneapolis Heart Institute Foundation. Dr. Marin has been very involved in studying this disease for his whole career, and recently Dr. Marin and his colleagues printed a paper in the Journal of the American Medical Association entitled Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillators and the Prevention of Sudden Cardiac Death in Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy. Dr. Marin, welcome to the program today. Yes, thank you. I thought we'd start first by just asking you, what exactly is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? It's a genetic form of heart disease. In fact, the most common of the genetic cardiovascular diseases, characterized by uh, thickening of the left ventricular wall, which can often be substantial, but in fact does not necessarily uh, have to be present in all those individuals carrying the mutant gene for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And how common is this condition in the general population? Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is reasonably common. It doesn't compete with basic cardiologic practice of coronary artery disease. But there is a considerable amount of epidemiologic data now that puts the prevalence at about 1 in 500 in the general population. That would mean that there are about 600,000 patients in the United States. So that's a fairly large number. Is the prognosis the same for this large group of patients, or does it differ depending on which gene abnormality is present? Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy has a very heterogeneous presentation in terms of uh, diagnosis, clinical course, and also the management issues. There is no single clinical consequence that applies to all patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It is a disease that is compatible with normal longevity, not infrequently, without disability, and without any need for interventions to achieve that. On the other hand, it is the most common cause of sudden death in young people, and that includes trained athletes. What is the risk of sudden death uh, in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? How high is that risk? Well, the risk is low. It's a small minority of patients. It's difficult to place a number on that because most patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy are not identified. Most of those 600,000 affected individuals do not know they have the disease, but it is a small minority, usually estimated to be an at-risk subset of about 10%. Is there any way we can tell if someone is at higher risk of having sudden death with this condition? There are a number of risk factors that are used. The secondary prevention risk factor, of course, is obvious, and that's the survival from a cardiac arrest or sustained ventricular tachycardia. In addition, we have five primary prevention risk factors that are uh, generally accepted and are used one way or another to identify the highest risk uh, subset. Those include family history of sudden death in a relative, prior unexplained syncope, non-sustained ventricular tachycardia sequentially on holder monitoring, uh, massive left ventricular hypertrophy defined as 30 millimeters or more maximum wall thickness by echocardiography, and the hypotensive blood pressure response to exercise. Does it matter where the thickness of the heart is located? Is thickness of the septum causing outflow tract obstruction a higher risk for sudden death than, for example, the apical hypertrophy variant? Well, there's no relationship between the distribution or pattern of left ventricular hypertrophy and risk. 
the only relationship that has been identified with regard to the phenotype itself is the magnitude of left ventricular wall thickening. In other words, surrogate for increase in left ventricular mass. That is the 30 millimeters or more maximum wall thickness by echocardiography. But the location of that wall thickness measurement uh, does not seem to be important, although usually it is, in fact, of course, in the ventricular septum. Now, you mentioned syncope as one of the risk factors. In patients who have outflow obstruction, I would suspect that they can become faint or have syncope from the obstruction. Is that a different mechanism than syncope that may be due to arrhythmias, and does it have the same type of connotation for sudden death? Well, syncope is the most difficult of the risk factors in a way, because Obviously, it is a historical risk factor, and it can't be replicated, and the mechanism is never really known with certainty in this disease. So we have to assume from the data we have that syncope itself is a marker for high-risk status. does not necessarily mean that, that there is an assumption that every single syncopal episode is due to a ventricular tachyarrhythmia. It's probably not the case. But the data, uh, which are included in the defibrillator study in JAMA that you mentioned, do show the history of syncope to be a risk factor. Now, clearly, there are a number of cardiac and and non-cardiac mechanisms for fainting. So it makes it difficult. When we say unexplained syncope, we assume that by history it's possible to exclude a vagal event responsible for syncopal episodes, but that, of course, as you well know, and those who are listening well know, that that is not always possible in precise terms. So to make the assumption that a syncopal episode is due to left ventricular outflow tract obstruction and therefore is not a risk factor for sudden cardiac death but is solely related to hemodynamics is, I am afraid, in this disease, a little bit dangerous. If you are just joining us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, and my guest is Dr. Barry Marin, and we are discussing sudden death and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Let's talk a little bit about the article that was just published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. What group of patients did you study in uh, this uh, paper? Well, that study is an ambitious one. It involves 42 centers in the United States, Europe, and Australia. These were uh, centers that have some focus on hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and sudden death risk, and they contributed all their patients or retrospectively or prospectively, in whom a ICD had been implanted for primary or secondary prevention, who, of course, also had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So the decision for the ICD was made by individual practitioners at the different centers? Yes, absolutely. It's really not possible to do either a randomized control study of this nature in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or to impose some sort of protocol on implant decisions upon individual practitioners. So, in fact, these data do reflect clinical practice. They reflect the decision-making that is going on out in the uh, community 
of cardiologists and electrophysiologists for implantation of an ICD. And what were the results of the study? Specifically, let's start with what was the risk of recurrent uh, sudden death in secondary prevention, and what was the risk of having an event in the primary prevention group? Well, the overall risk was that in 3.7 years follow-up on the average, so relatively brief, 20% of the patients experienced an appropriate ICD intervention, usually a shock. In terms of annual event rates, it turned out to be almost 6% per year combined secondary and primary prevention. It was higher in the secondary prevention group, was about 11%, which is not unexpected, and was about 4% in the primary prevention group. Those are patients that have been implanted solely because of the risk factor algorithm. They are asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic and represent a pure form of primary prevention. Now that 4% in the primary prevention group, is that similar to population studies? In other words, is this a reasonable representative cohort of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Yeah, it's a reasonable representation of a high-risk hypertrophic cardiomyopathy cohort. If you go back in the older literature, which was regarded as tertiary referral center literature, which involves, by definition, referral patterns for higher-risk patients, the sudden death rate was reported to be as much as 6% per year. That's pretty close to the appropriate shock rate in this population published in JAMA. And that makes sense because this report is, a, by definition, a high-risk subset. Uh, patients were identified because of perception of increased risk and necessity for consideration of an ICD to prevent sudden death. The older tertiary center referral literature was skewed to a higher risk subset as well. So we believe that this more recent data tells a consistent story about risk in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Does this study help us to decide what patient type should be recommended for having an ICD? Well, the selection of patients for primary prevention ICDs has been somewhat difficult, as it was in coronary artery disease before ejection fraction became a primary or often sole determinant of risk. Situation in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, because it is a heterogeneous disease and relatively uncommon compared to other cardiac diseases in practice, and because it has a low event rate, creates a situation in which identification of patients would on the surface appear to be more difficult. That has also created some differences of opinion about which patients should be considered for ICDs. For example, it seems that in Europe, the idea of implantation requiring two or more risk factors has taken hold almost uniformly. Uh, whether that's due to their lower implant rates, which is about one-tenth of the, that in the United States or other cultural or other factors, not entirely clear. But we believe here in the United States that the idea of confining primary prevention implants to patients who have two or three risk factors misses the point entirely. And one of the importances of the JAMA paper is that it demonstrates unequivocally 
that one risk factor can for sure be enough to give strong consideration for a prophylactic ICD. In fact, one-third of those patients who received an appropriate shock for VTVF, regarded as life-saving, were implanted by their electrophysiologists for only one risk factor. So, not to be too extreme about this, but with the European mantra of two or more risk factors, we can assume that many of those patients who are alive because of the ICD in the JAMA cohort would not have survived because they would not have been afforded an ICD for prevention of sudden death. I want to thank Dr. Barry Marin, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing the risk of sudden death and hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.